It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. All right, so check this out. My friend and I are still trying to process exactly what we saw the other day. We've talked it through countless times, trying to logically figure out how this was possible. Hopefully, someone on here can give us some thoughts and ideas as to what actually happened. So, I recently purchased a small bass boat, and my first mate, Lagove, and I have been super eager to explore the lake and its islands, as well as learn the fishing around it. We're new to Tennessee. Yesterday was the 4th of July, and we decided to go fishing in this very secluded part of the lake that we named No Man's Land, because of the low-hanging bridge that prevents boaters from entering the section. My boat can make it underneath because of how small it is, but I've never seen another boat in there. We decided to go deeper into the cove than we ever have before. As we're slowly trawling down the lake, the path before us splits into three forks, and I ask which fork we should take. Legov immediately says, the middle one. So we continued straight as the water changes from a large lake to a narrow, river-like path. This is where a chain of events happened in quick succession, and we've talked through it after the fact to try and recall the order of how this went down. First, we heard a weird, vocal-like noise coming from the woods beyond the shoreline, and we both tensed up and felt very uneasy. What was that? Lagov asked. A dog, I said as that was the first thing that came to my mind. I don't think that was a dog, he answered immediately. Then we saw a bird high above us, perching on a branch, staring at us. Maybe it was that bird, he said. I said, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure when it got into my hand, but at some point I drew my pistol and held it down at my side. Lagov held the fishing bow. We both had very weird feelings as we drifted down the river, eyes glued to the bank. We came to a rotting pine tree that had fallen and was now half submerged in the water, sitting on the shoreline. And then this happened. We hear a very loud, heavy-footed animal running through the woods, getting closer to the water. At first, I thought it was a deer, as it was almost prancing, but... As it got closer and louder, we realized it was, in fact, not a deer. It was a very large, jet-black canine. My brain thought, oh, it must be a coyote, but this was much bigger, like a huge German shepherd. And it was fast, like a black shadow leaping through the trees and quickly approaching the bank that we were floating across from. It didn't seem to have any texture or details, though, almost like it was flat and blurry. We couldn't see fur or its face and eyes, just the outline of its body and tall wolf-like ears, but it was obviously the body of a canine. Adrenaline started rushing through us and my brain raced 
thinking that we were about to have to defend ourselves from this thing. It almost looked as if it were charging at us, but it was zigzagging and dodging through the trees toward the exact portion of the shoreline that we were floating past. We were scared, but the 15 feet of water between our boat and the shoreline gave us some confidence. It would have to swim out to us, and I didn't see that as very likely. It continued its leaping through the woods and quickly reached our portion of the shoreline. In one majestic, fluid motion, it leapt off the shore and dove into the water right under the half-submerged pine tree in front of us. Stomp, 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 splash. That was it. We held our breath as we waited to hear it swim or move towards us. Small ripples reached our boat from the splash, and after the fact, my first mate, Logove, swears the splash should have been much bigger for a creature of that size. Watch for it to come back up, I whispered to him. I had never heard of canines being able to submerge themselves underwater, but here it was, happening right in front of our eyes. We waited nothing happened. Just the subtle sound of the ripples it made slowly dissipating. We waited about 20 more seconds and still nothing. It was almost as if the entire forest had shut off. It was that quiet. Our eyes were glued to the fallen pine tree that it dove under. Maybe it's just standing in the water under the tree, Lagov says. We get the courage to troll the boat a little closer to inspect the tree, but there's nothing. There's no signs of anything. At this point, we're both in complete shock. We're stunned at how it was just able to disappear like that. How could it be gone? How does something that big just vanish, especially a huge creature like that? After 30 more seconds of silence, Lagove breaks it with, you, you saw what I saw, right? A shiver flashes down my spine. I replied with, yeah, I saw all of it. Really though, what the frick was that? Lagov said. I replied, I, I think we saw a demon, and we both just nervously laughed. We stay floating near the shoreline in shock for at least another ten minutes, hoping for a sign that we weren't crazy. Lagov scoured the waters looking to see if it would come up for air, and it never did. How the hell could a big, black, wolf-like creature disappear into thin air, or water for that matter? Being skeptics, there has to be a logical explanation to what we saw, but we can't find one. If it had just splashed the water and gotten out again, one, we would have seen it walk away in whatever direction, and two, we would have heard it as anything putting weight on the leaves makes a loud noise out here. But it was just silence. The loudest of silences. We live in Middle Tennessee, if that helps at all, and we're still a little shaken up by this. Any insight to this would be much appreciated. Thank you. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. 
Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. When I was 15 years old, we moved from a suburban Long Island town to a quaint little town on the South Fork, just shy of the Hamptons. My father had purchased the nearly three-acre plot a couple of years prior with no intention of building right away. Then, one day he announced to my mother, we have to build the house and we have to build it now. He didn't give her a reason that I know of and she never asked. My father had spooky accurate intuition and she knew it. The month after the house was completed, the prices of building supplies doubled and there would have been no way he could have afforded to build it then. Disaster averted. It was fun watching the house being built. My father found some plans that he liked and just drove around the area until he saw someone building a house that he liked and said, I have a house I want you to build. That's pretty much how all the work got done. When they were digging up for the foundation, we found a few arrowheads and other Native American artifacts. This entire area was inhabited by Indians at one time, and many of the towns have Indian names, including ours. Our neighbors had several kids, and two of them were the ages of my brother and I, so we formed a friendship, and they introduced us around the town. I was showing my newfound friends the arrowheads that I found, and one of them said, You know, there's supposed to be an ancient Indian burial ground on your property. And I just rolled my eyes. We would come out every weekend as the house was being built in the summer and camp out in the house once it had a roof. My father was an arborist, and he was insistent that not one tree be taken down on their property. The house placement was designed around the trees, and heavy brush was all that was removed. My newfound friends would all meet up in town, which meant a 20-minute walk from the streets. I chose to take the shortcut by cutting through all the farm fields that bordered the west side of our property. Some of the fields were large and massive, but the ones by our home were smaller, boarded up patches of woods. There was only one place that was open with a path that led to my home, and at night I knew how to find it, coming back from town by looking for the change of size in the top of the tree lines. It was desolate and a bit creepy, but I could get home in five minutes, so that was the route I always took. It started immediately. On the way to town, the farm fields were fine, but it was daylight. On the way home, the entire area changed. I not only felt like I was being watched, I felt like I was being followed. My dad wasn't the only one with gifts. The entire family had them. It's not something we really talked about unless something happened, or as kids got older and developed new gifts, it would be mentioned very matter-of-fact. I had a lot of gifts, actually. They came and went, and they morphed my whole life. Since we never compared notes on our gifts, I never knew if I had more or the same as everyone else. I don't see dead people, but I can sense energies. All kinds of energies. 
That was one gift that never changed or went away for me. The only thing I knew for sure was that whatever was following me was not a good energy. My heart pounded the entire run home, and I always ran. There was also a spot on the property that froze me in fear. It was on the east end of the property. The way my father landscaped, he kept everything very natural-looking. Mostly wood-chip paths between rhododendrons, and then it led to the small clearing. He never did anything to that area. We never hung out back there, and nothing grew in that area either. When I got near it, there was just a feeling of, like, don't mess with me. I felt that if I stayed away from the area, I would be fine, and I was. Fast forward many decades, and I'm now a mother of two living in the next town. My children grew up on that property, explored the farm fields, and was always home by dark. After my divorce, my father was ill and wheelchair-bound, and I sold my house and moved in with them to help mom. After he died, all the kids were grown, and I stayed to be with my mom, who was my best friend. When she died, I bought the house. Now I was a grandmother, or Bubby, as was my title. I was given the gift of my grandson every Friday and Saturday nights since birth. It gave my daughter and sister-in-law some much-needed rest and a date night. At 18 months old, my grandson, Zach, was walking, but not so confidently. One day, I was about five feet away from him, watching him walk toward me, when he suddenly was pushed from behind. On his knees now, he looked behind him, looked confused, and then got back up. Another step toward me, and he was pushed again. This time, he looked scared, and again looked behind him, only to find nothing. It happened a third time, causing him to cry. I picked him up, and I took him away from that area. When my daughter came to pick him up, I commented that Zach may have some significant gifts. Entities love youngsters with gifts. Their energy is like junk food for them. My daughter just rolled her eyes. My dog has been by Zach's side from the moment he gets here until the moment he leaves. He's never more than a few feet away and Zach loves him so much. I did, however, start to notice that Zach would not go into his playroom or his bedroom unless the dog was with him, and if by chance he wasn't with him, he would call his name before going to the back of the house. More than a few times, he would come running to me looking scared, but never said why. I would always check the rooms and saw and felt nothing. Then, when Zach was about three, musical toys would turn on in the middle of the night from the playroom and Zach begged me to sleep in my room. When I asked why, he said he just wanted to be with me. I had recently had a dream that was so bizarre I recorded the details because I never remember them later, and there was a man who I didn't know in Zach's bedroom. I really didn't get a bad energy from him, but I didn't like that he was in the room with Zach. From then on, Zach slept in my room. I asked for guidance in a dream to know what I was dealing with. That night, I dreamt about two older teenage girls, all dressed in black and looking rather goth in style. They were sitting cross-legged, levitating with their heads, nearly touching the ceiling, and the most notable part of the dream is that they were afraid of me, really afraid of me. So the next time something happened in the playroom that scared Zack, I went back there and told them 
in my most pissed off growl that if they didn't leave him alone, I would end them. And they did. Then, when Zack was four years old, he came running from the playroom with a look of terror that I had never seen before or since. Bubby, I saw a ghost. Okay, Zack, I said in my most calming voice to settle him down. What color was the ghost? Over the years, I had seen plenty of white, gray, and black figures or masses and started to learn just a bit of which ones to be the most concerned of, but his answer threw me for a loop. Brown, he replied. Was it male or female, I asked. It was a man, he said. Was he old like me, young like you, or daddy's age, I asked. He was like daddy, he replied. I asked what the ghost was wearing, and again, his answer threw me. Underwear, he said. It really made no sense to me, and then I had a thought. Zack, what color was his hair? Zack said it was black, and then I asked, was it long or was it short? And then Zack replied, long. So I asked, was he happy or was he angry? And with the look of fear that you never want to see on a child's face, he replied, very slowly, he was really angry, Bubby. My grandson had just seen the spirit of an Indian, a very mad Indian. Right then, that feeling of dread I got from the back of the property kicked in. I remembered that earlier that day, Zack had been exploring on that property. The dog that guarded him from birth had died of old age and was replaced by a rescue, an Argentinian Mastiff, who gladly served as his replacement. If Zack was outside and needed to pee, we were very isolated from the neighbors, so I would let him pee in the bushes. Did he urinate in that area that I was told not to mess with? Did he do something to disrespect that area? I explained to him that maybe the Indian wasn't mad at him. Maybe something else made him that mad, and he was just trying to tell him. I told him that maybe he's guarding something in the back of the property, and that he should always be respectful of that area when he's back there. No peeing back there. Don't drop any garbage back there from your snacks either. Be respectful. I told my daughter about the Indian ghost and again she rolls her eyes at me. I didn't tell her about the legend, which before that moment I never believed. I never told her about the area that creeped me out when I was younger. I never told anyone. We just didn't really talk about such things. Not that it was taboo, but unless it caused a problem or created an answer, there's no sense in bringing it up. There were no more visits from the Indian. Zack only walked around the border of the property on that area to see our new neighbor's farm animals. I noticed the dogs, I say dogs because I added a second rescue, they would also only walk around the area bordering that clearing and they would never walk on it. I rarely went back there and during spring cleanup, the crew getting rid of the mounds of leaves would just blow them in that direction. Knowing that I never disturbed the area and since nothing grew there except the trees, the leaves were a welcome mulch, keeping the area from getting any new growth. I had two acres of the property surrounded by an electronic fence to keep the dogs on the property. One day I came home to hear the alarm alerting me that the fence was not working. I called the company that installed the fence and a technician comes out to discover where the problem was. It turned out that in the area of the clearing, 
Another neighbor who borders the property had recently sold, and the new owners were surveying the property, and the surveyors had hammered a stake in the ground on my property and had snapped the wire. I saw the new stake placed in the spot where it should have been and was quite annoyed because the hole from their stake was clearly visible and they knew they had snapped the line and the line was on my property. So, after the fence was repaired and I paid the tech, I went back to the area to take some pictures. I planned on sending the company a bill for repairs. Taking pictures from my cell phone from various angles, I started stepping backwards and I found that the leg I had moved behind me while backing up was sinking into the ground. Now, years of leaves were on that area and as a result, of course the ground is soft, but this was beyond a sinking feeling. It felt as if my leg was being sucked up. I turned around to realize that I was now standing in that don't mess with me area and I was terrified. What seemed like 30 minutes and was probably more like 30 seconds, I struggled to free my leg and then hightailed it out of there. Zach is now nine years old and I'm thinking of retirement and that there is too much wrong with New York to be able to live out my retirement comfortably. I decide to sell the house as the market is hot and I live in a very desirable area. Even now, Zach will not go to the back of the house alone without the dogs, but he tells me he hasn't seen a ghost in the house in years. He says he doesn't remember the Indian, but since that was the only ghost I'm aware he's ever seen, I think otherwise. Pictures are taken of the property, the house is listed, and I start looking for a big house in Florida where my daughter wants to relocate. I'm planning on moving all of us down there and retiring. A month later, the house is on multiple listing, the price is reasonable, and other than a few families that came to the open house when we first listed, we've had no interest at all. Nearly 2,000 views on Redfin alone, but no interest. I know of a psychic that I trust, so I ask her about it, and she tells me there's a spirit on the property that doesn't want me to leave, and I'm thinking it's that Native American ghost. Zach is getting at an age where his gifts might be coming online. He's finally admitting to me that he's seen another ghost, a boy who comes to him every year and hangs out with him talking about video games. He calls him Daniel and says that this year his hair was blue. I know that he watches a YouTuber with blue hair that goes by the same name and I ask him if that's who he's talking about and he says no but that Daniel seems to be aging along with Zack every year. This year, he talked about VR with Zack and how he's never played VR, but would like to. It just wasn't around then. The psychic stated that the spirit was doing something not only to give people an off sensation about the property, but it even affected the photos online. She suggested a cleansing of the home and the property. If Zack's gifts are coming online, a cleansing might be a good idea for him as well. I knew of someone I trusted, and she lived upstate but could do it remotely, so I called her. I was mostly concerned about the Indian. I didn't want to kick him off the property if he was truly guarding a holy burial ground, and I wanted to know if she could connect with him. I wanted to let him know that if he allowed me to sell the property, that I would ensure the new owners were aware of the legend and would respect that area and not disturb it. And what she said gave me chills. I can, she said, 
The question is, should I? If he's guarding something holy, it's not a problem. But if he's guarding something dark, it could make things worse. A lot worse. She explained a cleansing would only remove negative energies from the property, so if there was anything negative, the Indian would not be disturbed. I agreed to go ahead with the cleansing without trying to connect with him. She had done work for me before, and usually within hours, I get a report and a breakdown of whatever had been done, so when I didn't hear from her, I got a bit worried. Two days later, I saw that she had tried to call, but I was working and couldn't answer the phone. She left me a voice recording on Messenger, which she had never done before, and the message was as follows. I found six spirits on the property, two portals, and one very large negative vortex. I'm told that the Indians were involved in a battle, although I don't know when, they were not very good on time. An elder opened the vortex to frighten away the enemies, and it worked, somewhat. But when they tried to close the vortex, they couldn't. To protect others from the harm of the vortex, five young Indian males sacrificed themselves and were buried in a circle around the vortex. They've been guarding it ever since. I have sealed the vortex, and the five spirits were happy to return to their tribe. The sixth spirit is that of a man, a nice guy who lived nearby. When his home was demolished, he entered your home and has been protecting it ever since. He said he would like to stay if you would allow him. He said he'll also take on the responsibility of now protecting the property as best as he can. What a story. What history. The legend was true after all, but so much more. I had to tell somebody. My daughter was on vacation with the family, so I called my brother. He's a retired cop who's very skeptical of the paranormal, which I find odd because he has some of the most powerful gifts in the family. His intuition was just like my dad's. I knew his eyes would be rolling, but I called anyway. When I told him about the area that creeped me out and then read the report, which had now been sent out to me, about the vortex and the Indians, he gave as supportive of a wow as I knew he could. As I mentioned, I never told anyone my feeling about that area, and when he was trying to figure out where on the property it was, he mentioned he never got any bad feelings back there himself. He says, I used to hunt back there all the time, and I never felt anything. Was it by the cement slab, he asked. What cement slab, I asked. He says, it's huge. How could you never have seen it? It's not on our property, but it's right on the border of the property. I said I never went back there. The area creeped me out, so I stayed away. What else is back there? I asked. It's a slab foundation for a house. No house, just the cement slab. Then I read him the part of the report about the spirit who moved in after his house was demolished. That slab must have been gone for years when the neighbors erected their new barn for their animals. I didn't need to see his face to know he was no longer rolling his eyes. I spoke to the realtor, and he'll be relisting in about 10 days in a new format. I'm told that some minor residuals may linger on for a week or so, but in 10 days it should all be clear. 
But I have to say, how can you not tell the new owners that there are five young Indians who gave their lives to protect everyone and their bones are in the backyard and that area should still be respected? Zack will be back in the house on Friday. I wonder if he'll still need the dogs to go to the back part of the house. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And what better way to get into the holiday spirit than with a Minky Couture blanket? Whether you're gathered around the tree with loved ones, roasting marshmallows by the fire, or just looking for a cozy way to stay warm on a chilly night, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Christmas festivities. With a wide range of festive designs and colors, you can find the perfect blanket to match your holiday decor or gift to your loved ones. So this Christmas, make your holiday even cozier with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket, just in time for the holiday. Happy holidays from Minky Couture. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. So I'll start off by saying that I'm Native American. So for me, a lot of weird and creepy crap happens. But I'm going to start with the first one I remember. It was summer. I was about six or seven years old, and I was running around with no shoes on in my grandma's yard. As I was playing in the yard, I hear my grandma call my name from the woods. Comet. I stood there confused. I didn't see my grandma go into the woods, but she called again. Comet. I call back to her. Granny, where are you? She responds with my name again. I respond back. Hold on, let me put my shoes on. I run inside to go get my shoes on. As the door opens and I sit down to put them on, my grandma walks out of the kitchen and tells me my lunch is almost ready. I stare at her and she notices, asking me, What's wrong? I ask her if she was just in the woods. She shakes her head, and I tell her that she just called me from the woods. My grandma walks to the door as I say that, closes it, locks it. She says to me, by far the creepiest thing for a kid to hear, if someone calls your name from the woods, never go to it. I said okay, and she says, don't go back outside. I don't know what I heard that day, but since that day, I've heard my mom's voice, dad's, brothers, sisters, grandpas, aunts, uncles, friends, even my freaking unborn cousin at the time. I don't know what does that, but I'm scared, and I'll never go into the woods looking for it. So this happened in 2020. I'm a female, and at the time I was 19. I lived in a flat above a senior residence. Since I work for that company, I could live there fairly cheap because the company just dealt with the costs for me. 
I sometimes did a night shift as well. In the night shift, you basically look in each apartment from the seniors to check in if they're all there, since almost all of them have Alzheimer's. After that, you're supposed to clean the kitchen, the living room, and the library, and then do the dishes as well as wash the clothes. Every now and then, a bell would go off because one of the residents would need help with something, so you'll have to go there and help them. There was already a break-in a few years prior to that, so the company installed cameras around the house. All people that live and work there know about the cameras. One day, I had an uneasy feeling and just couldn't bring myself to sleep in the flat, so I left to sleep at my parents' house. When I came home the next day because I forgot something, I saw that the police were there. They were questioning the night shift, and then they looked at me, asked for my ID, and then asked what I was doing there. I explained that I live above the residence and forgot something that I need for work. They proceeded to ask me if I was at home last night, to which I said, no, I wasn't. I finally had the guts to ask what was going on, and then I was told that someone had broken in that night. After that, I asked if they needed the camera footage and their faces lit up, and they said yes. I found it weird how they got so excited, but I'm not one to judge. They probably hoped that it would make it easier. I then called my boss, and she came with a laptop about 15 minutes later. We all looked through the footage together. It was creepy to see how two people carefully walked into the garden. One of them looked through a window and you can see him closely watching the night shift. The other took a different route and walked around the house, peeking into an apartment of a resident while they were sleeping. He then walked a bit further around the house and stood under the window of the library. We could see then how the night shift went into the basement to wash the clothes. As soon as she was down in the basement, the person who was watching her ran to the other and gave a big thumbs up. They then proceeded to pry open the window. One of them jumped in and looked around confused. Now here's why. A few years prior, when the first break-in happened, that was the room where the medicine was kept. After that, we relocated that into a safer room. They probably just wanted the medicine, since a few of the residents have strong painkillers, and those are hard to get. They probably played part in the first break-in and hoped that the medicine would still be there, they got confused when the room looked completely different now. They ended up stealing nothing and just running away again. As far as I know, they were caught about two weeks later. But it makes me wonder, what would have happened if I was home that night? Because this happened at a time where I always go outside to take a little walk through the garden. I have insomnia and this tends to help. Would I have met them? And if so, what would they have done? Let me start this out by saying I'm a pretty average guy with no history of mental health issues and no inkling of a doubt about what I'm hearing. Every other night for the past year, around 11 p.m. to 3 a.m., when I go downstairs for a snack, I hear this disturbing noise. I cannot remember when it started. I just remember the feeling I felt when I first heard it. I'll sit down at my dining room table and hear a familiar sound to a cow dying, an ominous low-pitched scream 
It sounds like it's coming from above me, which is odd because my family is all asleep at this point. I've checked to see if it could be something with my pipes, my appliances, my house shifting. A family member's really demented snoring. No luck. I wish it was one of those things, but I've got no reasonable explanation. I've tried to catch the sound on camera for the past couple of weeks. But every time I hear it, the video doesn't pick it up. I hold my phone as close to the sound as can be, to no avail. It seems like the sound is something only I can hear. When I start to hear it, it goes on randomly for as long as I'm downstairs, and only when I'm downstairs. I've tried literally everything to get it to happen when I have a friend over or when my family is over, but it just doesn't happen. The only thing that seems to react to it is my beagle. My beagle will stand downstairs and growl at it while looking at the ceiling. My dog has taken to waking up in the middle of the night and howling. This sounds average for a beagle, but my dog is very stoic and rarely barks. Now, she'll growl at the door while I'm trying to sleep. House haunted, beagle coincidence. I'm genuinely going nuts. I don't know, but hopefully the ghost is a chill dude. I've been suffering from sleep paralysis for a number of years and it's been fairly tame up until recently. Shortly after my dad's death, who died in early September, it changed and it became far more vivid and terrifying. I'm aware that stress, anxiety, and grief can all be factors in triggering or enhancing the problem. I always know when it's coming. I sleep on my side and when it starts, a low pressure starts from my shoulder down to my chest. Usually it would be the odd moving shadow or a loud bang, or a whispering kind of voice would follow that's scary but not terrifying, and I kind of got used to it after a while. Recently, it's gotten really bad. The first time it changed, I'm lying on my side looking out across my room, and the normal pressure that happens on the side starts to happen. I glance over to the center of the room and there's something crouched there as I try to make out any distinctive features, it bolts and then it dives under my bed. All I know is it moved on all fours and it looked humanoid. One time, a withered hand appeared and violently tried to grasp at my face. Another time, I saw nothing but heard a low female whispery voice behind me saying, you're not gonna make it and then giggle. Then came the most recent ones. This was about a month ago. I got home from a busy day at work and I lied down. As I did, that same pressure starts to build up. I wasn't exactly in the mood for this. I just wanted to rest and not see terrifying stuff, so I kind of struggled against it, trying to force myself to stay awake. A big mistake because it just made it a lot worse. I looked up into the center of my room, and there it was. It was tall, thin, had shoulder-length hair, it was gaunt with blood-red skin, and its eyes had this weird, luminous look to them, 
like a light as it's slowly going out. I could tell it was female by the build of its body, but I could be wrong, but I did know that this thing was angry. It started walking towards me, shaking its head while doing so rapidly that it became impossible to tell if it still had two or four eyes, and it was screaming in anger at me. It sounded like a cat being tortured. The dream ended when it reached me. The most recent time was this week. I had a long, busy week, and a couple of days ago, I crashed out. I had multiple hands reaching for my face this time, and that same female voice appeared at the same time, almost in a dismissive, mocking way. I've had many people carve my name in their chest. I have no idea what that means. Trust me, I've tried to look it up. If this isn't my mind trying to just mess with me, then the red creature-like lady was just being cryptic about who she is. If anyone has come across that in any folklore or just in general, I would love to know. I'm pretty sure it's stress-related, but I'd be interested to know if there's anything else close to it. Thank you. Alright, so check this out. Back around 1992, I was in high school at that time and I was a sophomore, and unlike most of my friends in school, I didn't work the typical high school jobs like McDonald's, Taco Bell, some retail job in the mall, or work at the local grocery store. I was very good with my hands, and I worked jobs like construction, demolition, flooring, and auto mechanics. All of my contacts, I worked under the table as I started working on some of those jobs at 14. It was beneficial for both of us, and I was only called in when needed, and I was the guy willing to only work evenings and weekends. One of my contacts worked doing remodeling projects, like at restaurants, bars, retail shops, and typical commercial projects that we could only work after hours. Like I said, that worked out for both of us because I went to school and would sometimes work after school or on the weekends. For this one contact, it wasn't uncommon for him to leave me alone at a site and have a list of things for me to do alone, mostly demolition work. I did this while the other crew was doing the installation or the remodeling work. I was the kid, but I had their respect because I did what I was supposed to do and did the work of a man without any complaints. I got paid good, and in one night I could make more than my friends did working all week at McDonald's. This one instance, I got a call from the guy that I worked for, and he said he had a project for me and if I could work the following Saturday. I said, yeah, sure. He said, be sure to bring food and lots to drink as there was nothing nearby. I used to have a small cooler and would fill it with drinks like Cokes, Gatorade, or whatever, plus chips and a couple of sandwiches. And back then, I could eat a whole pizza by myself and then burn it all off. He picked me up that Saturday morning as I didn't have a car or a license yet, so he would pick me up and drive me to sites for work and leave me alone there. I rarely worked with his other crews as they were more skilled labor guys. I was just the, the tear-out kid. Here's the part that was my major downfall to this story. I didn't pay attention to where we were going, 
I was too busy talking to him and I think we were talking about cars. You see, at the time my goal was to save up enough money to buy an old muscle car and rebuild it. It took a long time to arrive to the site. As we drove up, it was in the middle of nowhere. Now, you may not think California has places like this, but back in the early 90s, out in the Mojave Desert, yes, it was big plots of land and homes more than a few city blocks apart. I knew we left the highway and went down a few other two-lane highways for a long distance. I remember he asked me about my drinks and he pulled out a brand new jug of water that he had in his truck that looked like it had been there for a while and told me to take it with me just in case. He said that the water to the house I would be working at was off. As we pull up to the property, he's in a hurry to drop off his tools and get to another work site, so I hurry up and help him with things like breaker bars, shovels, the pry bar, hammer, broom, several big trash bins, and a small tool bag that I often had with me. He tells me that he'll be back to pick me up at about 5 or 6 later that night as there's no electricity to this site either, plus it should only take me till then to do what I needed to do. That was always his way of saying, I'm only paying you till this time, so you better get everything done by then. It was never too outrageous, and we always had a good understanding on time and tasks. He drove away, and I'm at this property all alone now. I walk into the house. It's mostly empty. My job was to remove all remaining furniture, contents, and appliances. Remove all the flooring, gut the kitchen and the bathrooms, and remove all the wood paneling. This project was going to be like what we now call a flip. They were going to fix it up and sell it. Almost immediately, I get kind of spooked by the place. It was very odd. Now, mind you, I'm used to being on sites alone working all night. This was the daytime on a Saturday and bright outside. However, the house was old, dark, musty, and kind of cool inside. The kind of cool that gives you goosebumps. To add to the spook factor of the house, let me describe what I remember about the house. Imagine walking back in time to the 1960s or earlier. There's dark green carpet that looked like matted down broccoli, pine wood everywhere that had a darker stain to it. The wood paneling wasn't the kind used in the 80s. There was sheet paneling, but actual board paneling tongued in groove old window curtains that all looked like someone's grandma made, an avocado green sink, stovetop, and oven, and the stuff that was left behind like old furniture and a closet full of old stuffed animals that looked to be about 30 years old. The style of this house was like an old western ranch as there were wagon wheels inside and outside the house. I had an old battery-powered radio but could only get a few stations but was happy for just some noise. I started removing all the junk from the house and as I normally did on a project if there wasn't a dumpster on site, I just made a trash pile. I tore up all the flooring next and to my delight everything seemed to come up with ease that it was rip, cut, and toss. I took a big demo hammer to the kitchen and tore it apart in less than an hour. I ended up using that big jug of water that my boss had given me to wash my hands and face periodically, but by late noon, as most who know the desert and the dryness also start to take moisture from you, 
especially if you're working in it. So by late afternoon, I'm down to my last drink and I had already eaten everything that I've brought. No worries, I thought the guys would be here in just a couple hours to pick me up and as the time gets closer for them to arrive, I'm all done with my tasks. I even sweep the entire place and it's now ready for the rehab crew to get to work making this place look a little more modern. The time of year I was out here wasn't a typical hot desert day, but you know in the desert, as soon as the sun goes down, it starts to cool rapidly. I had a flannel shirt, but that wasn't enough and it was starting to get dark. This was the time before cell phones were common and, well, there was no electricity, no water, no phone service to the house. I climbed up to get on top of the roof to get a better look to see if I could see someone in the distance and what looked like miles down, I saw a smaller road that this dirt road led to and a few homes, but those homes were all in the dark. My first thought was to hike down to a neighbor's house and ask them to use their phone. The nearest house, no one was home and this home also looked abandoned. If you remember the early 90s, this was the start of a decline of the economy and recession, so it wasn't uncommon for a lot of foreclosed homes and a track of homes. A lot of those I worked on at the time. I started to think about my options as darkness was fast approaching, and one was to stay at the house until morning. Two was to take a hike with what little water that I had for a few miles in the dark Mojave night. Or three was to wait until early morning and hike out of there to some sort of civilization. It also suddenly occurred to me that no one knew where I was except for my boss. I don't know if he told anyone else where I was and certainly my family wouldn't miss me until maybe Sunday night, but I didn't even tell them I was going to work there. They knew me and how much I would work to save up for my car and they never worried about me not coming home. As full darkness was all around me, it was amazing looking out at the night sky, and lucky for me, the moon was bright. I didn't have a flashlight or any way to make a fire. Even though I tried, I was going to make a small bonfire out of broken up construction debris as the temperature started to fall, probably down to the low 40s. My only option was to go back inside the empty creepy house that somehow seemed even more creepy sitting alone in the dark. At about 8 p.m., the batteries on my radio, which was my only source of little light and noise, started to die. I grabbed an old wooden chair and sat in the living room of this house, facing the door. I'm starting to hear wind and odd noises, which I assume are animals in the distance and what sounds like leaves cracking under feet. I'm starting to shiver from the cold, so I set off on trying to start a fire in the fireplace. Imagine, like, Tom Hanks in Castaway trying to start a fire. At least this is keeping my mind off of my situation. Sitting in this living room, next to the fireplace, the house seems even more darker than it should have. Mind you, in the daytime, the inside seemed dark already, so with only the moonlight, I was pretty much sitting in complete darkness. My mind starts to play tricks on me, and I'm seeing shadows moving outside and inside the house. I'm also starting to hear someone talking like, like whispers or something. I get up from my chair, and I yell out, Hello! 
and just as I do, I hear something fall from the other side of the house. I run over to the door and I go outside again. At least in the moonlight, I can see better, but off in the distance, I hear noises and I see movement, but I can't make anything out. I have my pile of tools by the edge of the house ready for when my boss picks me up, so I run over there and I grab Big Daddy. It was my heavy pry bar that I used in demo. I was ready to defend myself for who or whatever was out there. I have to keep moving because my undershirt and my flannel shirt wasn't enough to keep me warm. The wind was also starting to pick up and as far as I could see, no lights were around me. I didn't want to try to make it up on the house again out of fear of falling in the dark, but I get up on top of the gate just to try and gain a little bit of altitude to see if I can see some house lights on or even some nearby car lights. My mind went to the stories that circled around at that time about how people would come up to the Mojave Desert and bury bodies, how they were Satanist groups out here, and how people would go missing for no reason at all out here. Every noise had me on edge and every shadow had my heart pounding. Now, I knew no one was in that house, but I swear I would hear noises from inside. I huddled up on the front porch, looking in the living room window, expecting to see someone at any moment. By around 11pm, I look at my watch and I think this is going to be a very long night, as all of this stuff has only happened since it's gotten dark. I don't know how I'm going to make it another six hours until daybreak. I start thinking the moment that it gets to be daybreak, like the moment light starts to appear on the horizon. I'm going to take a little water that I had left. I'm going to walk east. I know going east, I would eventually make it somewhere. The dirt road that I was off of, I knew that direction would lead to a paved road. Closer to midnight... I'm wide awake and my eyes are fixed on the dirt road thinking that any time now a car would come down and maybe they can call for help for me. I remember casually turning to look back into the house as all this time I keep hearing noises but I'm telling myself maybe a rat or some animal was all it was. I see a shadow of a person move from the kitchen to down the hall. I jump up from sitting down and was like, that is not an animal, that is human. I start backing my way out of the porch towards the pile and trip over the debris and I fell on the ground. I get up, but I fall again. It was like something pushed me down, or my imagination, but all of a sudden these bright lights are coming closer to me as I'm laying on the ground. I jump up and it's my boss. He's looking at me like, what the heck are you doing? I was just so glad to see him. I wasn't mad or anything. I just asked him what happened. He said that he was sorry, but he thought the other crew was coming to get me, and they thought that he was coming to get me. So no one actually came. He said it wasn't until later in the evening that he asked the other crew leader about how far along that I had gotten, and he said that he didn't go get me. Well... It took him almost two hours from where they were to come get me. He felt really bad and told me he was going to pay me for the entire time that I was out there. He also grabbed a can of coke from his cooler and asked me if I was thirsty and I drank that all in one gulp. Once we got back towards civilization, 
He went through a fast food drive through and I ate like I had never eaten before. As he was driving me home, I asked him about the house. I told him how creepy it was and he said he didn't have any information on the house, only just what we were supposed to do. After that, I made sure to always keep extra batteries, flashlights, and double the amount of liquid. The incident that I want to share with you today happened in 1993. Even after all these years, I'm just as frightened today as I was back then. I've never publicly spoken about this or wrote about this for the fear of my safety. It's tormented my thoughts and my dreams and it's made me afraid of the dark and it's given me anxiety. The big question of who and why still remains unanswered. In a small farming community bordering Mexico and Arizona, with a population of a bit over 5,000, there's not a lot to do. No malls at this time, no skate parks, not even a movie theater. On this particular day, the weather was beautiful. It was sunny and cool, and I didn't want to be stuck at home all day, so I drove my mom to work in a nearby town and I promised to be on time to pick her up from work at 5 later that day. She reminded me not to smoke in her car, and I drove away, heading back home. I ate breakfast, and I took a nap. At about noon, I picked up a friend, and we drove around town for a while, then went to the store and purchased something cold to drink and a pack of cigarettes. We drove around and talked the usual girl talk and the latest gossip that we shared to each other. When I grew tired of circling the same roads and hitting the same potholes, I headed out of town a couple of miles for a change of scenery. Traveling on a familiar road, I slowed down when I realized that I had driven past the road I usually would take back to town. I always made a point not to go too far because the paved roads turn into dirt roads and it's no place for a family car, but I said what the heck. I'll just take the next road instead of turning around. We both scoped out the unfamiliar area, a huge eucalyptus tree and a house of some kind that I had never noticed. The closer we drove, it appeared to be abandoned with the door flung wide open and windows busted out. Nothing at all about places like this appealed to me, but my friend is shouting, pull over, pull over there now and I'm just trying to talk her out of it by saying, there's no way we're stopping. I do not like places like this. She's nagging me. She says, let's see what they left when they moved. Realizing that she wasn't going to shut up, I reluctantly slowed down and turned into the overgrown driveway. She jumps out to curiously look inside the house. I turn off the car, and I get out to smoke a cigarette. I yell to her to hurry and that I'd be waiting by the car. She calls me a uh, chicken shit, but I don't really care. I finish my smoke and pacing back and forth, just anxious to leave. I noticed how overgrown with weeds and brush the yard had become over what looked like many years left unattended. I wander around a bit, checking out what little was left of this old beat up wooden trellis with dead thorny branches all twisted and woven through it. A glimpse of animal fur caught my attention and 
I looked closer and I noticed what appeared to be a dead coyote that was hanging from one of the many branches. Dried blood dripped from it and it looked as though it had been there for a while. Gross. After a little more observation, as I'm already stepping backwards towards the car, I realize there are numerous other similar carcasses sprawled here and there or hanging from branches like the coyote. Some were pelts and some were the entire animal. I got the creeps with all those dead eyes staring at me. I had seen enough. I yell out to my friend, let's go, now. I jump in the car and I yell again, get in or I'm leaving you. My friend comes running out, wondering what was wrong. I point to the coyote skins and she screams also, let's get the frick out of here. We drove back to town quiet and didn't say much. I dropped her off at her house and had just enough time to stop by my house and brush the grass out of my hair and the dust off of me before I picked up my mom, so I hurried. Gosh, what an unusual day it had been. My mom stood outside her office. She smiled and got into the car. Obviously, she had not been waiting long. We go to Costco and we pick up some groceries. She made the mistake of telling me to get a cart as well, and I loaded up with what I thought our household needed, and we met at the register. We're never doing this again, she said as she wrote a $300 check. After arriving home, we put away the groceries, and I took a long shower. I dried my hair, and I dressed to go out for the evening. I fed my dog, and I told my mom, See you. I won't be out too late. I drove away in a very dusty and dirty Volvo. After the country roads that we traveled earlier today, it really could have used a wash. Maybe tomorrow, which would have been a Saturday. I could have used my phone at home, but I had the habit of stopping by this small grocery store a block from my house to use the payphone next to the store. It was very close to the road, and if I parked the car close enough, I could talk on the phone from my car. A few people had cell phones at this time. I planned to call the same friend that I was with earlier. We had made unclear plans of possibly going to visit her cousin. I started to dial her number when from the mirror I noticed a pickup truck coming up behind me at a high rate of speed. I stared at it in the mirror, realizing at the last minute this truck was not slowing down. With my car already running, I dropped the phone receiver, leaving it swaying back and forth from the short cord. I slammed it into drive and I pressed the accelerator, trying to avoid being struck from behind, and I quickly sped away. Why would this driver want to hit my car? It was obvious that's exactly what he was trying to do, considering there were no other cars on the road. He had to drive far left to the shoulder of the road to purposely get behind my parked car. If it was unintentional, then why didn't he slow down? He never even slowed down. Now, he's on my tail again, and there's a stop sign coming up. I don't want to drive through it, but this guy in his large-sized pickup, the kind that you used to tow an RV with, is inches from my car. If I chose to stop or even slow down, he would ram the back of me for sure. Giving me whiplash is not the only damage he intended to do, and I'm certain he's trying to make me wreck and then kill me. But why? 
At one point, I drove past my friend's house and she looked confused as I didn't stop to pick her up as planned. Instead, I sped past with a cloud of dust and a white Chevy truck extremely close and viciously trying to plow into me. With no other choice, I raced through the intersection, almost closing my eyes, fearing another car or even a pedestrian might cross my path. This maniac is still no farther away. I buckle my seatbelt and I sit up straight. I drive like my life depends on it. Turning corners, managing not to hit a parked car or a lamppost, using only the gas pedal and seldom the brake, I reached speeds up to 80 miles an hour on residential streets trying to get away from this psycho. With some good driving and some determination, I managed to lose the SOB. Driving by my friend's house again, I saw she was still standing outside. I slowed down, keeping an eye out for the crazy person with the lead foot and anger issues. She quickly hopped in and not wasting any time, I drove away. We didn't talk. I was shaking. I needed to stay focused on driving. In a town this small, he probably wasn't too far away. It probably wasn't over. Finally, I saw a police car and I hoped that he would pull me over for speeding, but that didn't happen. I knew with what I had been through tonight I needed to tell the police, so I waved out my window for the officer to stop. When he did, I frantically told him about the truck and I asked him to stay close so he could help me because he could be back in any moment to terrorize us again. The officer turned to me and jokingly said, why don't you just go home and get some sleep? I slowly drive away feeling tired, helpless, and now teary-eyed wishing I could do just that, to go home and sleep. I spot the truck again as he drives through the intersection ahead of me as if searching the block and hunting us down. I hear his engine roar as it gains speed heading towards us again. I start to cry thinking that this night just keeps getting worse and worse and about what the cop said. My friend says, stay strong and just drive like you did earlier. I took a deep breath and gained some much-needed confidence. My car was still running strong and not overheating. I knew I could do this. Hopefully after, I would know who and why. I drove around for what seemed like hours. I knew I could probably lose him if I headed out of town where I could drive faster, but I was afraid if he managed to run me off the road, nobody would know. It appeared to perhaps be over, as the angry driver chose to turn off and disappear out of town. Still watching cautiously, I saw it was safe to finally unclench my hands from the steering wheel and slow down to a safe speed. We drove to my house, quickly got out, and ran inside where it was safe. Even though it was late, my mom was waiting for me, immediately asking me what kind of trouble I had gotten myself into I wanted to tell her about the danger that I was in tonight, but I was too physically and honestly mentally exhausted. I just sat there, breathing heavy. With a very serious but also a fearful tone, my mother insists I go outside and look at my father's car. I tiptoe carefully outside to the driveway, and stretched out on the hood of my dad's car was a taxidermy-quality black coyote staring back at me. Never mind the who or the why.
So check this out. The story I'm about to tell is not one I personally experienced, but one told to me by my father, who experienced it firsthand many years ago. He went on a raccoon hunting trip one autumn night with his uncle and a family friend of theirs. For those who don't know what coon hunting is, it's hunting raccoons, usually at night, using a scent hound bred for that type of thing. It was common in the southern United States, and that's where this took place, in a remote, rural area in the southeastern U.S. in the late 70s or early 80s. It should be noted that a good, trained coon hound never leaves a raccoon at tracks and corners up a tree. My uncle had two fully trained, reliable coon hounds with an excellent hunting record. On this particular night, the three men each had a light source. One had a carbide lamp, another had a brand new flashlight with brand new batteries, and another had a lantern. The location they chose to hunt in was an area that my uncle had been many times. It was truly a remote area, far removed from civilization, and was one of the most beautiful wilderness areas one had ever seen. It was located near a national park. That night, they drove a little farther out than they usually did, and they let the dogs out. It didn't take long for the dogs to track down their first coon. The men followed the dogs and had to walk quite a bit off of the regular path this time. They ended up well outside the usual area. It was an area that my uncle wasn't very familiar with. They found the dogs at a very large tree situated on a cliff. There were no other trees around it and they could hear the sound of water flowing in a creek just beneath the cliff. The strange thing about the tree was the stone that was sitting beneath it. My dad said the stone resembled a gravestone, the way it was positioned upright, just below the tree, and the way it looked. It looked almost as if it had been placed there intentionally. As soon as the hunting party reached the tree where the dogs were, the dogs suddenly went silent and just walked away from the area in the direction from which the group had just come. My uncle noted that the dog's behavior was very uncharacteristic of them because they had never just walked off like that when there was a raccoon up a tree. My dad thought that was odd as well. He said he'd never seen them act that way, as if something spooked them. Baffled by the dog's behavior, still, they decided to look to see if there was a coon up there, my dad leaned against the stone and shone his light up into the tree, and there was no raccoon to be found, which again, highly unusual. I mean, if there wasn't a raccoon, then what were they chasing? As soon as my dad leaned against the tree and shone the light into it, their friend's carbide lamp suddenly went out. My dad said that as soon as their friend uttered the words, my light went out, the other two lights simultaneously went out as well. Alone in the woods and completely in the dark, a feeling of uneasiness settled over the men. My uncle, who was a logical-minded man, calmly stated, there's probably a reasonable explanation for what just happened. We need to all remain calm. Let's just step away from here and make our way back to the jeep. 
So they headed back the way they came. About a half a mile to a mile on their way back, their lights all came back on as if nothing happened. They found the dogs a little farther down the way, closer to the jeep. And my dad never went back there to hunt again. Now, what's interesting to note is this particular area is near a well-known area of a park where lots of people through the years drowned in the river there. It's purported to be a haunted spot. There have been ghost sightings, all kinds of strange occurrences in that area, it is possible that they wandered into the park near that very spot where some unfortunate soul drowned. Recently, I've been reminiscing on my paranormal experiences and I thought to share one of them in the spirit of the season. I'm pretty sure the last house that I lived in was haunted and here's why. Up until last year, I was living in a shared house with my longtime friend. We've known each other since high school, and because of a few fortunate events, we ended up living together in a couple of places. The house we lived in at the time was getting too small for us, and that's how we found our new place that I solemnly believe to this day was haunted. At the beginning of summer 2020, we both agreed that it was time to search for a new place, somewhere that was more convenient and spacious, and when the time was right, I found a Facebook ad for a beautiful grade 2 listed building right in the middle of our town center. The place was super spacious, it had more room than we could have asked for, tall ceilings and old sash windows with a beautiful view of the town center. I love anything old and antique, so I instantly fell in love with this place. When we first went to view it, it was full of light, warmth, and it felt very inviting. So we made our decision pretty fast, and after a couple of days of back and forth with the landlords, we completed all the necessary paperwork and started packing, and a month later, we were moving. On the day of our move, we noticed one big difference. The place was now very dark and cold and nothing felt like the first time we saw it. We were still in the middle of summer, but inside it was around 6 degrees Celsius, which was baffling. I've visited many old buildings in my time, but I've never felt cold radiating off the walls like that before. There was also a very thick wall between mine and my friend's bedroom, in which, no matter how hard we knocked, we couldn't hear each other. It was at the end of June, and we both had two electric heaters going for most of the day, but to no avail. The heat just wouldn't stay. Our first night was cold and pretty much sleepless, because every time I felt myself drifting off, a noise would wake me up and I couldn't settle. It wasn't anything in particular, more like ordinary house creaking noises that we're all very used to, but the frequency of them was off. It was as if the house wouldn't let me fall asleep. I didn't question it as much as maybe I should, because I was naturally anxious for my first night in a new place, so I didn't expect much sleep anyway. But 
There is an old saying in my family that the first dream you have in your new house is very important, as it'll tell you if the place is good for you and if you'll have good fortune living there. Once I finally managed to get some sleep and basically fell into what felt like a mini coma, I remember being chased through the house by a tall, dark, shadowy figure, and that definitely wasn't a good sign. Throughout our first week, we finally managed to get used to the noises and had a full night of sleep. I didn't remember having any dreams after. It all felt kind of blank, as, as if I didn't even dream at all. But sooner rather than later, new things began happening. And there was always issues with construction of the building. Strange, pungent, smelling leaks would appear out of nowhere even when we were going through a heat wave in which part of the UK that we lived in would get very dry. We'd still get frequent power cuts with no other buildings being affected, just us. It was common knowledge among our family and friends that there was always something going on with our building and it felt like the house just didn't want to be lived in. Contractors would come out to fix the constant leaking roof, but a couple of days later, it would come back even stronger, all without a single drop of rain outside. The landlords were tired and baffled by constant, small disasters that we would call them about, and as I'm writing this, they sold the building about three months ago. I'm guessing things haven't changed much, and they simply had enough. I remember one particular night when it felt like things reached a completely new level, and it wasn't just about small, confusing repairs, either. It was about to get very paranormal and very personal. I just came back home from work, and I was unpacking some groceries that I'd bought on my way back. The kitchen was never my favorite place in the building. It always felt uneasy being there alone, especially when I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Our toilet and shower room were separate and had small vestibules with some utilities and storage. The fridge stood right next to the one which led to our shower so I could always see into it with the corner of my eye. I nearly finished putting things away in the fridge when I caught a glimpse of something and I instantly froze. For a moment, I thought I saw a tall, dark figure just standing there menacingly. But when I looked again, it was gone. It looked exactly like the shadow figure from my dream. The only dream that I've had since we've moved in, by the way. An overwhelming sense of dread crawled up my spine and I darted out of there as fast as I could. The place looked empty, but I could feel a thousand eyes watching me from every direction. Now, my love for the paranormal and the occult has taught me that this particular feeling is probably the worst sign of an evil entity being present. Apparitions aren't as dangerous, even though they might seem it at first, but a feeling of being watched, as if something's hovering above you with their claw stretched out, just waiting to pull you in is a very, very bad sign. And it most likely isn't your grandma visiting from the afterlife. A few days later, I told my friend about what had happened and she said she experienced something similar 
while taking a shower just a couple of nights back. It's as if the same tall, dark shadow figure hovered in the corner of the shower room just below the attic flap. She hated that flap since we moved in and always mentioned that it just felt off, like something was up there and could come down at any time. For the next few weeks, we would watch the house closely and tell each other if we'd find anything suspicious. We didn't see that figure again, but an overwhelming sense of dread and fear had started to spread across the whole house, making us question, what the hell is going on? Were we really dealing with something supernatural? The building was very old, probably at least 70 if not 100 years old, and it's possible that it would have a lot of energy from its previous owners. So many different stories and scenarios had played out in these walls. Not all of them had to have been good. Most of them, actually, probably weren't. I tried to research about the history of the building, but I didn't have much luck except for finding that the building was used as a moot hall, which was a meeting hall for town residents back in the early days. Things didn't look great. The building would pull tricks on us more often, and one night, I watched my ceiling nearly split in half as the plaster cracked all the way across my bedroom. Apparently, it wasn't anything dangerous, but it certainly didn't feel like it at the time when I laid in my bed and watched the whole thing happen. Me and my friend both began entertaining the thought of moving somewhere else, even though the original plan was to stay there for a few years. The atmosphere was becoming unbearable, and so we had to make a choice, or rather it was made for us during our last power cut. That was our breaking point. It was around midnight when the lights went off and we met at the landing with our tiny emergency flashlight that we always used to check the fuse box. More often than not, the fuses were okay, but we always checked it anyway because the thought of having to just sit in the dark, not knowing what's next, was way too disturbing, especially at that time. We went down two flights of stairs to get to the awkwardly fitted fuse box right below our tall ceiling and began investigating when my friend's shoulder got pulled back as if someone was trying to grab her. We both screamed and then ran back to my bedroom where we hoped and waited for the power to come back. It was probably the longest two and a half hours of my life. We didn't wait long before applying for new houses, but every new place we found just wouldn't happen. There was always a different reason, like the paperwork issues or other applicants got ahead of us, so on and so forth. I eventually just moved back in with my parents to save up for my own place because the chances of us getting anything looked more bleak each week and we didn't want to stay in that house any longer. And that's how I left that house. Sometimes when I visit the town center, I walk by the building and I feel the same sense of dread from before, as if something or someone is staring down at me, wanting to reach out and pull me back in to finish what it started. And time to time still, I get the same dream that I had the first night we moved in there. 
I always manage to get away. And, you know, I wonder what the new residents have to deal with and if they're okay. So, I was sitting at my desk in front of my computer and I saw a six to seven foot phantom quickly peek around the corner from the hallway into my home office and then retreat to presumably disappear into nothing. Has anybody else encountered this? At first, I thought it was my girlfriend, but as soon as I called out, Babe, was that you? She stopped what she was doing and ran to me, needing me to comfort her because she scares easy. I wasn't actually scared at all, but she was terrified when I explained to her what had just happened to me. She thought I was playing a prank on her, but I swore that I wasn't. This is actually the third or maybe the fourth encounter like this that I've had, but this is the only one that's happened while she was home. I haven't told her about the other instances because I don't want to scare her. Has anybody else encountered anything like this? Now before you ask, here's some facts. I leave all of my doors open so my cats can glance out of the windows in any room and or get to their litters scattered around the house in different bathrooms. And my girlfriend was in the kitchen doing the dishes actively at the time this happened. She's 4'11", and I'm 5'11". Also, we have no kids. And finally, I didn't feel a maliciousness intent coming from this phantom. What do you think? This will be my first time sharing this experience. Any feedback at all would be appreciated. I'm a building service contractor and I have no experience in storytelling or writing. I'm just happy I finally found a place to share this. So thank you. I have no explanation for any of the things that I witnessed. I've never seen anything like it before or since and I do admit that I've never in my life felt so helpless. I was alone and no one else that I know of saw or heard the things that I did. I did manage to get some shoddy video with an iPhone. I still have the phone, but it's crushed and I have no idea how to recover any of its media. I'm 44 years old now, and here's my experience. Early in the month of June 2018, around 2 a.m., I had just finished work for the day and was a beautiful night. I had the windows of my Ford Econoline van down, enjoying the country air. I live pretty much right in the middle of Iowa, a nice house on 27 acres. My shop is on one side of the driveway and the house is on the other. Large oak trees, even larger pine trees, and of course, a yard light. Neighbors across the road maybe 150 yards away, and then more neighbors across the creek. Anyway, as I'm pulling in, I see maybe three or four sets of eyes under or at least near my porch. It's nothing super unusual as I have from time to time a family of raccoons try to settle close to the house. 
I noticed the eyes and that must be the reason that I didn't go straight inside the house. I figured I'd stop in the shop to grab the 22 just in case I got an aggressive mama raccoon. Before I step out of the van, I notice how full and bright the moon is above the tree line directly west of me. As I sat and appreciated the scenery, I watched the moon go across the sky like it would do only in fast forward. This I did video briefly, and maybe there's a legit reason the moon appeared to be making three hours of movement in just about two minutes, but at the same time, the moon appeared to be still and normal. Well, I shut off the camera on my phone. I then hear this very unusual and very loud sound of large pieces of concrete being moved. I can't say that I saw large pieces of concrete moving, but I heard it and I was very focused on this and this was not a normal thing to hear out here either. So as I'm trying to justify seeing the moon moving fast forward and knowing that I just heard my driveway open up, my thoughts are maybe there's an earthquake or a sinkhole or I'm just having some kind of episode. Still in my van, windows open, I remember the eyes that I saw when I first got home just 15 minutes ago. But as I go to get out of the van, I see a huge thing moving towards the house coming from where I had heard the concrete moving. Not only do I see something huge, I hear the noise that I will never forget. I have no idea what I saw, and I even struggle to find the words to describe the noise that it was making, but as I'm fumbling for my phone, trying not to move too fast to get noticed and to keep an eye on this huge thing that's in the shadows, but when this thing roared, it sounded like a mechanical dinosaur slash bear slash warthog and giant bird screech. I froze. I was literally frozen in fear. And I just witnessed, before the ungodly roar screech that it made, this thing reach up and run its hand or paw or claw or whatever. I can't explain. I guess because I didn't see it long enough to comprehend, but it stood from the ground with one arm or its wing or something extended up to the bottom of the second story bedroom window. I shouldn't say it stood, it was walking, but that's the size of this thing. It didn't move gracefully, but also didn't move loudly. Like, when it wasn't roaring, I didn't hear its movements at all. I have no idea where it came from, but the way that I processed it, it moved the driveway apart and came from underground. It walked up to my house, ran its hand or whatever, along the bottom of my daughter's window screeched at the house, got behind my van, and then screeched again. I say screech, but it was a lot more than a screech. At this time, I gave up on the idea of running to the shop for a rifle. I had a feeling that this thing came for something, but I don't know why. It could have busted into my house and tore it apart if it really wanted to. Anyway, when it was behind me, I had my phone recording. I didn't get a visual of this thing but the phone, at least not a clear shot. 
You could see a large thing moving and hear the noise, but I pulled out of there and drove straight back into town. The first lit up place was a car wash where I pulled in and I rocked back and forth, so confused of what everything was. As soon as the sun came up, I went back home. I only had a feeling that it came for something, and the way it made the noise made me think that it wasn't there to harm my daughter. And I say that, and although I felt it wasn't there to harm Tiana, I only felt that I thought that. I can say that I left with the intention of leading it away from the house, but I was helpless. There's nothing I could have done to harm the thing or to protect my only child. I know I witnessed something that I will probably never understand. I can't bring myself to speak about it to my daughter or anyone else that's close to me. I showed the video to some people, but I didn't explain to them what they were looking at because every time the thing made a noise or was in view and even when the moon was moving, the audio would become super distorted. It sounded like you were on the other end of a phone that something was holding out of the window, driving at 80 miles an hour. I don't know how to process this experience. I wonder, was this a demon? Was it just my imagination? Did I lose my mind for an hour? Where did it come from? And then, when it was done, where did it go? Did it move the concrete? What the heck was the moon doing? And whatever happened to the raccoons that I saw? If it was my imagination, then how do I explain the video? I witnessed something. I mean, I saw it. I heard it. I felt the ground shake, but I'll still never understand. Like I said before, I'm not a writer. I'm just a guy from Iowa wondering about some crazy night. I own and operate a company. I speak to my employees and my clients daily. I'm active in my community, and as far as I know, people have never questioned my sanity. Anyways, thank you for listening. A while back, I posted my experience with a reptilian when I was about five years old. I'm 43 now, and the story isn't up anymore because that was a throwaway account. Either way, long story short, my brother and I witnessed my mother morphing into a reptilian and nearly eating us until someone knocked on the door and then she changed back into herself. She admitted that this really did occur and told me when I was about 17 or 18. Fast forward to present day. I had been struggling financially and had been looking for a new job. I had been looking on Indeed and something caught my eye. A night auditor, but at the hotel that's on the same block that I had the previously mentioned experience. I applied. Within minutes, the general manager called me and asked me to come in for an interview the next day. I arrived and, as usual, whenever I go down this particular street, the parking spot in front of the hotel on the corner was available. Funny, because there's hardly ever any parking available in that area, almost never during the day. But this spot was always open when I drove by like it wants me to stop in and visit. 
I arrived on time. In fact, I was five minutes early. I'm never usually on time for anything, but in this case, early. The interview went great. I got the job on the spot and I started the following Monday. I had to train for a week with this totally OCD old man, but it's alright. I kind of found him amusing. Like I mentioned, I'm one of those people that is late all the time. I have my own book of excuses. For some reason, I'm never late for this job, no matter what time I leave my house. It's like I'm teleported there if I'm starting to run late. This hotel is weird. It's as if it's alive and it wants me there. Not in like a a menacing way, but like I belong there. It's a very old hotel and it's been there since the, the late 1800s. I run some reports at 12 and then at 2 a.m., but I don't really have a lot to do after that, so I sit in the break room and play on my phone or read and watch the cameras that are displayed on a 55-inch TV on the wall in the corner. One of the cameras is on the corner of the hotel that the experience happened in. It's now a massage parlor, and the hotel that I work at owns the entire block now, including that building. I'm the only employee there from 11 to 7. Every morning at 3, a man walks by very slowly and turns around and smokes a cigarette, and I swear he's looking right at the camera. I watch him, but nothing really happens other than that. Then he turns and walks away. I have access to the entire building, but it's connected to every building on that block. There are secret entrances everywhere. This morning, I noticed a key. It's to the massage parlor. I haven't found the access point to it yet, and if I did, I'm terrified to know what would happen if I got in there. I'm totally allowed for security purposes, I mean, but I'm just not sure... What if I encountered that beast again, and am I supposed to so that I can put an end to this story? I hear whispers, I see shadows and fleeting figures down halls, and all of that happens in one particular meeting room on the top floor. None of these are menacing though, actually quite the opposite. They all seem content and happy that I'm there. I have ghost tube, I know, it's silly, but... I can't afford an actual EVP setup. Anyways, my ghost tube goes nuts when I'm in there. It calls me the lady of the night. It says it every time I get in the elevator to do my rounds. Well, what do you guys think? Should I try to find the entrance to the massage parlor and see if my key works? I hope you enjoyed these allegedly true scary stories. Um, Hey, you know, last time I checked, I wasn't terribly far away from 2,000 subscribers. So if you like what's going on here and you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, consider it. Stick around for a while. The plan is to do uh, one video a week, just like this one, um, for the rest of my life. Okay, there's also something else that I want you to know about too. 
Um, I started a project with another narrator buddy of mine. It's called the 90s Nightmares Podcast. So if you're feeling nostalgic, um, check that out. The link to that will be in the description. Right now, we're rewatching every episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And we're talking about our favorite moments, our Easter eggs, our theories. We're deep diving uh, and just having a good time. So check that out too if you like. All right. I think that's all I got for now. I will see you next week. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. Be enchanted this holiday season at Meadowlark's Winter Walk of Lights. Gather your friends, family, or that special someone and enjoy a leisurely half-mile walk along an elegant paved garden trail aglow with countless sparkling lights and see Vienna's Meadowlark Botanical Gardens as you've never seen it before. Sparkling. Your holiday season starts now. Don't wait any longer because capacity is limited. Reserve tickets today and be enchanted this holiday season at winterwalkoflights.com. That's winterwalkoflights.com.